Ahoy, and welcome to The Jolly Reader. I'm your host, Captain Book. Thanks for coming along on our new adventure, The Vanishing Stair. It's book two of the Truly Devious series. I didn't even say it right. Truly Devious. So today, we're going to go over half of the book. Nothing happens, so I didn't want to break it into three parts. I'll be covering chapters 1 through 12, pages 1 through 196. If you haven't listened already to the three Truly Devious episodes, go back and listen to those so you're not confused, you know what's going on. But if it's been a while since you listened, I have a short summary of the book Truly Devious. So, the part that's in the 1930s. Iris and Alice Ellingham are kidnapped and Dottie is probably collateral damage. Both Dottie and Iris's bodies are found, but Alice is still missing. Anton Voracek, a known anarchist, is convicted of the crimes and shot outside of the courthouse after sentencing before he is to go to the electric chair. Two years later, Albert's boat blows up with him supposedly on it and Marsh. Not convinced. Then in 2017, still not 100% sure if that's the correct date, but it's in the current times. Stevie, our annoying main character, wants to solve the Ellingham case and has a pointless love story with a dude named David. After filming in the tunnel that Dottie was murdered in, Hayes Major is found dead there as well. He is apparently killed by dry ice. Stevie accuses Ellie. Wrong. When Ellie's confronted, she sneaks through a secret passageway in the Ellingham house and is still on the run. And then Stevie's parents come and take her home away from Ellingham Academy. Oh, yeah, and freaking David's dad shows up, who's dun-dun-dun, Edward King. The biggest of who cares? Okay, so things to look forward to, even though not a lot happens, is we get to meet Frankie and Eddie, who, if you remember from the last book, Stevie finds that red tin in Ellie's room, and there's, like, poems of Frankie and Eddie want to blow up the main house or whatever, There's an affair, another secret passageway, and squirrels. Lots of squirrels. That's pretty much the only interesting that happens. So, before we get started, I'm going to go on a short rant. This book is hard to read. Like, sorry, not sorry, do not recommend. It literally re-describes everything. Like, every character, I have to re-hear everything about them. They re-describe the dining hall and what it looks like. It's like, I read the first book... And I just want to know, like, do regular people not binge read books or when a new book comes out, they don't go back and read it because I don't need this much refresher. Also, it just feels like they're trying to write an epic novel and they putting in filler. And the other thing that's super annoying, which you're going to find out throughout this, is we find out things, the last book did this too, from the 1930s, and then like Stevie figures them out, and it's supposed to be like this aha moment, but it's not because us, the reader, already know. So get ready for that. So the book starts with the map of the school again, which so far has been pointless, and we get to hear the riddle that my husband figured out a 10 years ago again. Where do you look for someone that's never really there? Always on a staircase, but never on a stair. It's the portrait of the family. We know, we know, we know. We still don't know. They haven't told me this part of the book, but you and me, we know. The Jolly Reader knows all. (laughs) Anyways, if you can't tell, there's going to be a lot of palpable salt in this episode. Okay, so that was the riddle that was found on Albert's desk the day of his death, October 30th, 1938. Big who cares? Let's get to the book. So the story starts... Okay, I will say though, the parts from the 1930s in this book are like kind of interesting, but it doesn't happen a lot. 
So we're starting April 13th, 1936, 9 p.m. This is right after Dottie I think Dottie's already murdered at this point or she's like over at the dome she's about to be murdered if anything so Mrs. Nelson is like the house mistress of Minerva it's basically 1936 picks and she's asking everyone where Dottie is and then we meet Gertrude Gertie Van Kovoren no idea if that's right she's like supposed to be the richest person ever and she's not a fan of poor people. She got Titanic syndrome. Anyways, her dad owns a casino where they drink the rich drink and do other things, dot, dot, dot. Which, like, this is from, we're about to meet her, Frances Josephine Crane, Frankie from the poem, hello. It doesn't say that, but I'm saying that. So it's from her perspective. So she talks about how, oh, Gertie's family, like, this stuff happens at the casino but her and her father don't know that and she's like holding on to that information for blackmail at some point i don't know it's kind of weird anyways she likes secrets and is a bit of a detective herself so mrs nelson thinks that Dottie lost track of time at the library and plans to like call the library and check and francis tells us that she saw Dottie hurrying into the woods a few hours prior which we know Dottie goes to the dome and she doesn't tell anybody because she thinks that Dottie's entitled to her secrets and like everyone should have privacy whatever so mrs nelson takes a phone call and francis I'm just going to call her Frankie because we all know it's supposed to be Frankie from the thing. Listens in and hears something about the police. And then Mrs. Nelson sends everyone to bed and heads to what I assume is the main house, which I think I'm wrong about that. But anyways, oh, no, maybe she does go to the main house. So then she returns two hours later and Frances sees her head towards the spiral stairs at the end of the hall. So it's just the staircase that goes up to the boys' rooms or whatever. But at this time, it's all girls. Anyways, so Francis gives her a 10-minute head start before following. And there's a secret latch in the floor behind the stairs. So the stairs in the back of Minerva are spiral. And then it looks like there's a wall behind the spiral in the back. But there's really like a place you can slip in. And then there's a latch on the floor. And then there's like a dark tunnel underneath. So Francis goes into the dark tunnel. So then... We skip to a Bat Report exclusive. So it's titled Second Ellingham Student Missing, Ellie, and at large. I don't think it says Ellie. I think I'm saying that. But anyways, possibly involved in the death of Hayes Major, a Bat Report exclusive, October 15th. Okay, so basically it sums up Hayes' death from the dry ice and talks about Stevie asking to see pictures from the filming because that's how she figured out that the computer scratched up, blah, blah, blah. It also talks about CB accusing Ellie of writing the zombie show and being involved in Hayes' death. And it talks about Ellie escaping from the main house through the secret passage, which is in Albert's office. That's the one floor I use, blah, blah, blah. Jermaine asks some valid questions, so I guess I'm going to read those. Hold on. I didn't think I was reading this episode. I'm just going to read this paragraph real quick. This reporter has to ask, where could Element Walker have gone that night with no supplies, no phone, no car, and no preparation? Ellingham Academy is on a remote mountainside. How did she know about the passageway? Was she even involved in Major's death? Or did she leave out of alarm? Her disappearance has raised even more questions in this ever-evolving case. I agree. I agree with all those questions. I don't think she was involved in Hayes' death at all. Okay. So now we're on to chapter one. Can you believe it? I have at the top of my notes, this book summarizes the last book a ton to the point of being unreadable. 
For example, it literally describes Nate all over again from his age and the book title of it that he previously wrote. He is a main player, we know. Go back and listen to my previous episode because it will take me 10 hours to re-explain everything. Sorry, not sorry. Okay, so Stevie's back at home. I don't remember where she lives, nor do I care. She... <laughs> Uh, she got pulled from school when Ellie went missing, and then Jermaine wrote that article, so her parents were like, oh, crap, dead people. Okay. Stevie's been hanging out at a coffee shop explaining what the tin that she found in Ellie's room contains. So, I'll just list it. Whatever. A feather, a blue cloth square with silver, blue, and black beads, partially used lipstick, an empty pill bottle, the photographs of the kids pretending to be Bonnie and Clyde, and not mention the U.S. cut out of letters, which I don't know why they didn't include that because it's supposed to like point to as a truly devious letter. And then the poem that they wrote, which I guess I can reread that, I suppose. The Ballad of Frankie and Edward, April 2nd, 1936. Frankie and Edward had the silver. Frankie and Edward had the gold. They both saw the game for what it was and both wanted the truth to be told. Frankie and Edward bowed to no king. They lived for art and love. They unseated the man who ruled over the land. They took. The king was a joker who lived on a hill and he wanted to rule the game. So Frankie and Edward played a hand and things were never the same. Okay, cool. And then (laughs) I only read that because it talks later about the truly devious letter and like why they wrote it and stuff. So then Stevie reminds us that Leo, who's the artist, that's Albert's friend, was probably talking about these two kids in his interview, which they give us a refresher. Which I'll just go to that because when they first talked about it, I didn't think it was important because like half the stuff in this book's not important. So this is him talking about the kids. You see them all milling around, you know. Albert opened this place and said he was going to fill it with prodigies, but fully half of them are just his friend's children and not the sharpest ones at all. The other half are probably all right, if I'm being fair. There were one or two others that showed a bit of spark other than Dottie. A boy and girl, I forgot their names. The two of them seemed to be a pair. The girl had hair like a raven, and the boy looked a bit like Brian. They were interested in poetry. They had a little light behind their eyes. The girl asked me about Dorothy Parker, which I took as a hopeful sign. I'm a friend of Dorothy's. So the poem, the ballad, or whatever they wrote, is based off of, I believe, Dorothy Parker's poetry. They are so obvious as them. I don't know how anyone didn't figure this out. We'll get into that later. So anyways, Stevie's looking through interviews from the time and she can only find interviews from Gertie claiming to be Dottie's BFF, but we know she hated poor people. So then Nate calls her and talks about how Janelle is focused on school and in love with Vi and how David, well, nothing. He's just there, I guess. And then Stevie drones on about how she made out with David several times. It was twice. And once it was just like kissing, not making out, like, hello. (sighs) This is inaccurate. We are liars all over again. I'm over it. That was the worst book ever, but this one's like coming in close second. So her mom calls her, tell her to come home, and they have a visitor, apparently, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Chapter two. So Stevie describes a visitor as the devil. It's Edward King. Calm down, little girl. Like, he's being perfectly pleasant. I don't even know why she hates him. Like, I'm not saying he's not a trash human being, and I'm sure we're going to find out he's, like, involved or something. But the author, slash Stevie, gives us a no reason to hate this person. So she just, like, wildly hates him for no reason, and it's really weird. So anyways, Edward King wants Stevie to go back to school, and he 
tells her parents he convinced the school to put security cameras up and wire the whole place so nothing bad will happen and he's offering to take stevie there himself via private plane he tells stevie's parents that he doesn't blame the school because the kids should be held personally responsible and not steal locked up chemicals he basically says they're all adults 17 18 whatever and these are all very valid points if it was an accident but it probably wasn't but stevie cannot stand logic so she's like i hate him he's stupid man i'm immature so edward says he wants to send stevie back to school because it's the right thing to do and as a reward to her parents for helping him so much stevie tells us that's a lie but nothing tells us that's a lie i mean obviously i'm assuming for the plot of the story it is but like there's no proof within the book that he's lying about that so anyways he's probably garbage but the way it's written it just seems like she's being hateful okay so we're back to 1936 April 14, 1936, 2 a.m. Frankie's in the tunnel. She counts her steps. It drones on forever. Who cares? Anyways, she comes up at the statue that heads to the Apollo house, which is where Edward Pierce Davenport lives. That's her boyfriend. They are in love and they're planning on like Bonnie and Clyde robbing banks and running off together. I don't know. It never happens. So anyways, Frankie loves explosives. They explain that later. And Eddie is a troublemaker and a good lover apparently like holy moly and then it talks about how he's like out in the middle of winter in shorts and stuff and he can't feel pain totally don't know if this is even relevant but i think it's like that disease where you literally cannot feel pain like your nerve endings aren't functioning properly but i don't know if she just means like he's so emotionally whatever that he's like does not feel pain but anyways frankie tells eddie he like sinks out his window that Dottie is missing and he seems indifferent and just like starts to get like tries to get in her pants and they're like about to have sex in the woods when they see Albert walk by but he doesn't see them obviously so they follow him to an incomplete pool house it's like an empty pool indoors that's not done being built and they see Albert embrace Miss Nelson her house mother Frankie's house mother so Frankie assumes an affair I do too they don't say it but like obviously so albert tells miss nelson that iris and alice were kidnapped and then he also mentions the truly devious letter and frankie's like uh i'm gonna throw up holy crap i think eddie's like snickering about it albert tells miss nelson the kids will be leaving school and she should meet him at the apartment so also like a fair hello he gives her a gun for protection i would assume and then miss nelson leaves and then albert sobs for a moment and then leaves and frankie and edward are hidden this whole time Chapter 3. Edward King takes Stevie back to Ellingham on a private plane as promised. There's a lot of recap in this book, blah, blah, blah. The only new information is that Edward landed at the school after Ellie escaped. Obviously, we know that landed in the helicopter. But after that happened, David and Stevie started like ignoring each other until her parents took her home a day later. Or later that day, maybe. Anyways, on the plane, Stevie hopes the plane would crash, killing them both so she could save the world from his corruption. Like, what corruption we don't even know it's so weird she's i hate her this book's unbelievable okay stevie asks him why he's bringing her back to ellingham and edward says because of your parents hard work and dot 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 edward likes having you there and stevie's shocked that david could possibly i said edward i meant to say david likes having her there and stevie's shocked that david could possibly like her Durr, you guys made out like stopping a freaking idiot okay so how are you a detective if you can't even figure out that the person you made out with likes you in some capacity? Jeez. 
Okay, Edward says that David's been kicked out of a ton of schools, but was doing well in Ellingham until she left. So he started like skipping classes and making trouble. So Edward asked if Stevie could just like be friends with David, even if she doesn't want to, so he can stay in school and graduate. And he said anything more than that's like her personal business. He's not suggesting romance, just like keep him at school and basically just be like decent to him. I don't know. She agrees, but David is going to be so mad when he finds out about this. And she's all mad he lied about his parents. And then she's going to do this manipulative stuff. Like, ridiculous. Chapter 4. Edward drops her off after they land. And he tells her it would be best not to mention that he flew her to the school. The school knows that her parents is allowing her to return. And that's about it. So, she takes a taxi until she meets up with Security Larry. Who's going to drive her the rest of the way to the school. And basically, the best quote of this book is... <laughs> Larry, who says, you want to solve crime, Stevie? You can't act like you're smarter than everyone around you and do it all on your own. And it's like, well, good to her. She hasn't even told anyone about this stupid tin. I don't even know if David knows about it, honestly. So anyway, she has another panic attack and breathing exercises as she walks back to Minerva. If this is supposed to make me feel sympathetic for her, I don't. Anxiety is real and Stevie sucks. I don't know why, but the panic attack stuff throughout this book is like super triggering to me because it's like not realistic and it's pointless and... I don't know. Just give her a fake leg or something if you want sympathy. Okay. So she returns back to Minerva and Pix and Janelle are obviously ecstatic to see her. Janelle drags Stevie to see Nate. He's happy in a moody kind of way. Stevie glances at David's room. Nate comments that David isn't home or maybe he is, but I wouldn't bother. And while Stevie's unpacking her room, she asks Janelle and Nate, like, what's going on with David? And they say he's gone full weird. So he does screaming meditation at like 5 a.m he sleeps naked in various places around campus and he's talking to the sun which like in my opinion he's just trying to get kicked out of school it's not working so anyways stevie recalls the projection above her fireplace of like the second truly devious letter or whatever before hayes's murder but she can't remember what it said she just says it says something about alice and something about laying in a field she speculates who could have written it. I really should just go back and like read it because I don't know why I can't go back and read it. But she wonders if David did it as a joke and Ellie as an art project. And Ellie's still on the run, just so we know. I think I'm going to go back and look at that letter real quick. Okay, this might be cheating or whatever because it's only shown it to us once. But I'm rereading the one that was projected onto Stevie's wall. Riddle, riddle on the wall. Murder comes to play a call. A boy in a lonely field, will its secrets be revealed? Or the lady in the lake, will she give the lucky break? Alice, Alice, where are you? Won't you give a single clue? The detective's here. It's time to play. Truly Devious lives another day. So the lonely boy in the field is not Hayes, obviously. He was found in a tunnel. Interesting. Okay, so then we see the Truly Devious letter, the original one. How many times is this? Five, maybe? Should I read it again? I really don't want to. Whatever. Bombs make a splendid noise. Something about boys. Ha ha. It's really devious. You got it. Just go back and listen to the three other episodes I read it in. <sighs> okay. So she mentions the U.S., the word us, cut out in the tin and how the students were involved. Duh. I knew that already. Still doesn't mean the kidnapping of Iris and Alice just means they wrote a truly devious letter. And then she also mentions for the millionth time that this is the first real clue in 80 years, but she tells no one who cares. And then she randomly just goes to talking about her body aching for David. And this is kind of funny. So I was telling my husband this because I was super annoyed. And he's like, I really hate the term, like my body's aching for you. And he goes, if you're in pain, you should go to a doctor because love doesn't feel that way. Uh, okay. Anyways, 
we're just gonna skip over the stupid she wants david and how hot he is whatever but she doesn't go to him and she wants to avoid him because edward king is making a mockery of their feelings for each other the biggest of who cares so this part might be super pointless but buckle up for the next five minutes so it's like an article on crimestuff.com super clever you know and i wonder if it's a real website now we gotta look don't we uh it's not there's just a couple words not in english (laughs) okay anyways so on crimestuff.com there's five legends of ellingham academy so i'm just gonna sum them up so the first legend is alice in the attic albert orchestrated the kidnapping himself as a game which i have mentioned maybe after Dottie and iris died he hid alice in the attic when she became too old to stay hidden away she killed herself her ghost haunts the main house and i said no because albert supposedly died two years later who would have taken care of her he did like order clothes from her like every year old she is but still i'm not convinced the secret of the lake Iris had a breakdown and drowned Alice in the lake. Dottie witnessed it and they killed her for it. The kidnapping was made up as a cover-up. Albert hid Iris away and drained the lake. Iris killed herself eventually. All three are ghosts around the lake. Stop bringing ghosts into these books. You know I hate that. The sunken treasure. After Iris was found, Albert took her jewelry and dropped it in a weighted box in Lake Champlain. Big who cares even if he did unless someone finds it and claims to be Alice or her child to claim the Ellingham fortune. Still don't care. Heir to the throne. Rumor that Albert rewrote his will. Anyone who wasn't involved, is what the will supposedly said, that could find Alice dead or alive would get the Ellingham fortune, which is worth over $2 billion. Again, who cares? The kidnapping that never was. It was all elaborate game. No one died. Dottie was an actor. They ran off together when Albert faked his death. No, this didn't happen. They found Iris's head. Or they found her whole body. Anyways, no, not faked. They also found Dottie's body. Someone died even if that was true okay so what's the point of these legends to waste my time make the book longer pump up someone's eagle kind of harsh today just saying okay chapter five stevie janelle and Nate are walking to brunch they note the new security cameras that stevie knows edward king has put in but no one else knows like that it's privately put in by someone there's a memorial with flowers and notes and stuff for Hayes. the author redescribes every character and their significance from the last book skip Vi comes in and Vi and Janelle are kissing and in love and all that. And Nate asks why Stevie's parents sent her back. She straight up lies and says she doesn't know why they let her come back to Ellingham. I don't know. Seriously, who cares? And then she says she has to go to a meeting with Charles to get everything set up for her return. Okay, so that was like, I don't know, 30 seconds of your time. That was literally an entire chapter of my time. Horrible. Okay. April 14th, 1936, 3 a.m. Eddie is babbling on about dark stars aligning and Frankie tells us that he takes his poetry too far sometimes and gets caught up in symbols and characters in his head. Frankie is concerned that their truly devious letter is caught up in this mess of things that they aren't involved in, or at least she's not. We only hear from Frankie's perspective and she's like truly shocked by Dottie's missing and the kidnapping and stuff, but like to me, that doesn't rule out Eddie. So Eddie wants to leave the school now and start their plan of running off because they were going to like blow up a car and then escape the school and then be like outlaws, whatever. Basically, there's two kids in love that want to like run off and be in love. So Frankie says they have to play it smart so they can make a long-term escape. And she says that Eddie wants to be an outlaw without the discipline or practice. So she keeps him in line and she's been making her own preparations and she knew she had to make it back to Minerva. So 
This part's like kind of weird, but she can't take the passageway because Miss Nelson could be in there and Miss Nelson would lock the door into Minerva when she came out, obviously. So Frances sneaks around campus and there's a bunch of security guards with shotguns, which she kind of makes seem normal, but also she doesn't want to die. And she's worried that since they're like the kidnapping and stuff, they're on high alert. So if they see her, they would probably just shoot at anything without asking questions. So she sneaks around. This takes like 10 hours on the book. She makes it back to Minerva and sneaks through Dottie's window, which is cracked because obviously Dottie sneaks in and out as well. But before Francis can walk next door to her room, because I think Dottie's room is now Stevie's and Francis's room was Ellie's. So anyways, before she walked to her room, she gets caught by Miss Nelson and Miss Nelson tells her to stay put in the common room and they have an armed man guard her. Chapter six. Stevie mentions the portrait above the stairs in this chapter, which we know is the answer to the riddle. But pretty much like the only important thing about that is she talks about it being like kind of creepy and that Leo painted it. And then she also says it's oversized. It's four feet tall. So I'm saying there's definitely a secret door behind it. Security Larry shows Stevie the new security setup and there's cameras everywhere and they can follow a specific person through face recognition. He like shows her her walk to brunch and stuff. And it also scans ID cards as people walk by. And there's over 80 quote unquote listening pods. And he's like, it's pretty good. But like, obviously, face recognition and stuff isn't like always accurate. So Stevie overhears the headmaster, Charles and Dr. Quinn, the strict professor arguing. Dr. Quinn doesn't like that. She assumes she doesn't. Dr. Quinn doesn't say this, but assumes uh, Edward King has so much control. Dr. Quinn says, he shouldn't have a say. Do you really want to be a part of his narrative? Do you want him to be able to say he made Ellingham safe? Charles says it's at least useful and hopefully like Edward King will leave them alone. And then Dr. Quinn calls out David for not being much better than his father. And Charles defends David and wants to help him become a good person. Dr. Quinn demands a board meeting about this whole situation when Larry announces that Stevie's here to see Charles. So just kind of like a side note, because I'm assuming this is going to be important. Charles' office is in Iris Ellingham's old dressing room, which we know like Flora went to to steal that jewelry or whatever. So anyways, (laughs) my next note says, Stevie, did you really make the first major break in the Ellingham case in 80 years? I haven't noticed because you've only said it to the audience like eight times in the past 90 pages, but you refuse to tell anyone. That's how annoyed I am. I rant in my notes. So... This also might be pointless, but they mention that Charles had taken a green clock that I'm pretty sure it's like a mantle clock from Albert's office and moved it into his office. And the only reason I mention this is because if I've learned anything from the very first Nancy Drew book is that there might be a will hidden inside the clock. That's like the whole plot of the first Nancy Drew book. Spoiler alert. So anyways, Charles tells Stevie that the author of Truly Devious, The Ellingham Murders, Dr. Irene Fenton, conveniently works in Birmingham and is looking for a research assistant. I don't want to say this, but I'm going to. This book drones on about the writers so much, and it just comes off as like pretentious egomaniac. Like, writers are so great, and they're just like, it takes all this effort to write a book, whatever, and write a better book. Anyways, anyways, I'm very sorry, but I'm not. Anyways... (laughs) Okay, so Stevie's going to like meet with her the next day and she's supposed to organize and research and fact check for Fenton. She just likes to be called Fenton, so that's what I'm going to call her. So anyways, then Stevie goes to talk to Kyoko at the library to learn more about Frankie and Eddie. And this is the part I was talking about at the beginning. This is like really annoying. 
So Stevie looks through these pictures and she finds Frankie and Eddie in the yearbook and she's like, oh, they're really rich. They're in fur coats and stuff. And then she finds Dottie and she's like, she's really poor, blah, blah, blah. There's like something here. But it's like, we already know this from the first chapter. Like, I don't have to sit here for 10 minutes while Stevie figures this crap out since you already told me about it. You're wasting my time. So I'm about to waste your guys' time to tell you what happened. So it was like the first school year, 1935 and 1936. It was a trial year for the school and it's incomplete because they sent everyone home. And the first full year of the school was 1938. So she finds Frankie's section and it just says, Francis Josephine Crane, New York City, birthday, February 15th, 1919. Interest, chemistry, film, ballet. Then she finds Eddie's Edward Pierce Davenport, Boston, birthday, November 12th, 1918. Interest, literature, opera, art. We already know this. Same kids from the other part. Is this supposed to be like an OMG moment? Because it's not. So anyways, Stevie asked to see the book records because the kids could order books for the school to go get for them. And she noticed that Frankie is the one who requested like all the detective magazines. And then she's like, these magazines were never returned. Frankie could have used them to cut out the truly devious letter. Who cares? So she does more research and doesn't find much about Frankie after 1940. Basically, like Frankie went to some social event and she enrolled in college, but was never on the graduate list. There's like really not much about her, but there is something about Eddie. So he's described as an American poet best known for his published work in 1939, Milk Moon. In 1940, the day the Nazis entered Paris, where Eddie was living at the time, he got drunk and high and jumped off a building to his death. They like interview people about Edward's death and they're like not saying super nice stuff about him. And Stevie says out loud, your friends are real dicks. And then a voice replies, I know they are, but they're the only ones I have. And then that's when the screaming started. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Chapter seven. Squirrels. We're at the squirrel park, everybody. Tons of squirrels were running through the library. That's why everyone's screaming. David did this. I just will get into it. But David says that Pix is a trained wildlife person. So he let these squirrels loose. So Pix would come and Minerva would be empty. So him and Stevie can search Ellie's room. So long story short, Ellie's not an outdoorsy person at all. And David doesn't think she could have left Ellingham alone. Duh. Ellie's his friend. So he wants Stevie to help him find out what happened to her. Interesting side note. David said that Ellie couldn't light matches. She would always use a lighter because it was easier, which seems unreasonable. I don't, whatever. But she got in trouble for starting fires in her room. Pix talks about it in orientation. So Stevie's like, that's weird. But I'm also like, she could have used a lighter to light like her incense and starting fires. I don't know. They're trying to make it something. It's stupid. So anyways, Stevie also says like, oh, she's an artist. She works with her hands. She can't light a match. But like Albert Einstein couldn't screw in a light bulb. I don't know. It. They talk about it a lot. I don't really see the relevance. So they search their room, find basically nothing. There's like a loose board, I'm pretty sure in the wall. And it's just big enough to stash the tin. So that's where she thinks it was. And Stevie thinks she feels some of the fabrics. So she pulls it out and it's a dead rat. I don't care. So anyways, David gets a text saying to come to the great house for the squirrel incident. The end. (laughs) No. Chapter eight. So... Stevie starts Googling, trying to find more information on Frances Crane. She finds out that Frankie's dad, Lewis, owned a flower company and there was an explosion. So I actually Googled this. So flour is like really flammable. So in a factory setting, if the particles of flour is all over the place, 
it can catch fire and then it just like the whole place would blow up. So that's what happened. There was an explosion and eight people died and 30 were injured. And this is mentioned like earlier, but this is why Frances is obsessed with explosives. Like her dad took her to see the aftermath and she was like fascinated ever since. So anyways, Stevie finds this passage in like a cookbook and it mentions that Frances was a hellraiser and her parents sent her to Ellingham Academy. And then when she returned home after the kidnapping, tragedy like follow them whatever so stevie emails the author and abbott to see if she knew what happened to francis but that has not come around yet there's no response yet to the point i'm at so then also like really random but janelle makes stevie a friendship robot that can attach to her phone i don't know but then she invites stevie to the yurt because there's like a gathering vi is discussing the surveillance at the school doesn't like it and thinks there's an outsider that put them in like put the cameras in. So then we meet a large boy, like literally they say he's humongous, named Mudge. And he approaches and tells Stevie that Pick sent him to catch her up on stuff they learn in anatomy. And then she goes to talk to Jermaine Bat. And Jermaine reminds Stevie that Stevie owes her a favor for letting her use the pictures that shows Hayes computers not previously scratched. Whatever. It's just saying She's going to collect on that favor at some point. So then Jermaine asks what Stevie thinks happened to Ellie, but the conversation is kind of pointless. And Jermaine tells us that they have Ellie's phone records and she didn't call anyone or for someone to come pick her up. So Jermaine suggests Stevie looks into the idea that Ellie used a friend's phone. I think she's like kind of pointing at David, but I don't know. And I'm like, maybe she had a burner phone or something. I don't know. I'm not even convinced that Ellie's still alive, for being honest. So David walks in and Stevie walks over, leaving Jermaine. David is talking to Janelle and Vi, who are really mad at him for being disruptive and ruining this like fun school stuff or whatever. And David announces that his punishment is that he can't go to Burlington anymore. And Vi and Janelle leave upset that that's his only punishment for the squirrels. So then Stevie says she's going to leave the yurt too and invites David to join her. He asks Stevie where she thought ellie was and they basically decide that if ellie had nowhere to go she was home like she's a free spirit so she could literally be anywhere and david thinks ellie is innocent obviously i think so too stevie gets defensive and it's like i didn't accuse her of murder but she could have done it dot 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 no that's not what happened anyways david's like no ellie would not drag hundreds of pounds of dry ice to ruin someone else's art just to get back at them i completely agree with this david tells stevie he lied about his dad because he didn't want her and everyone else to hate him for being edward king's son i still want to know why edward king's so bad like it's not mentioned for all the details in this book like i want to know if he's like a baby killer or something like what is this guy does he like kick dogs for fun i need to know so stevie wants to kiss david but she doesn't want to give edward king the satisfaction it's gross and boring who cares she gets super awkward and says she's going back to tell nate she's leaving david says he'll see her at home and they go their separate ways big who cares april 14 1936 6 a.m this is frankie frankie basically describes a whole truly devious letter and why and how it was made so she says that she used to like albert and he would show her around campus and i it honestly it comes off of like really creepy 
I told you he's like strong pedophile vibes. But anyways, they had to like blow up the mountainside to make the school and he shows her where like the dynamite and explosives are because he knows she likes them and she's like holding a stick of dynamite and Albert makes a joke that he couldn't make her too dangerous to marry or her father would be upset. And then it's basically all over the, from there. Like Frankie's like, this dude doesn't care about my interests. He only thinks it's just like a joke and he doesn't even care about us. Everything's a game to him. So let's play a game. Frankie wanted to give Albert like a taste of his own medicine. So that's why she recruited Edward to help her make the letter. Because side note, her and Eddie have been like in love since day one. So whatever. So this is the part where I was saying, I don't know how no one figured out who wrote this letter. Because like a couple days before she writes this letter, she encounters Marsh, the FBI agent on campus. And she innocently asked him about like ransom letters and she discovers like he tells her that cut out letters like that would be unforgettable why is no one putting two and two together i don't understand but anyways eddie comes up with the poem idea they use gloves and tweezers to assemble the letter she pays someone off to deliver the letter so it seemed like it's coming from burlington and not traced back to them under some like pretense i don't know it explains it so there's no loophole she frankie had no idea this would get caught up with iris alice and dotty but like i said i don't know if edward's involved so then now we're like back with frankie at the minerva house and miss nelson tells all the girls uh, there's a bomb threat so they're being evacuated and in the chaos frankie sneaks into her room and tries to pry the board off to get what we assume is the tin that ellie later finds and miss nelson prevents this from happening and frankie never returns to her room in minerva ever again chapter nine So I'm not sure the relevance of this, but it's been brought up in both books. So I'm just going to say it. There's a sign leading to Ellingham that just says moose. And Stevie always says there will never be a moose. She's never seen a moose. It isn't explained, but it's mentioned literally like five or six times. I also Googled it. There's plenty of moose that live up there. I'm not really sure. Why do I care? So Stevie's reading an excerpt from the book of the author she's meeting, Fenton, on her way to Burlington about the discovery of Dottie's body. And there's not like any new information really, but like pretty much the overview is there's like a milk delivery man. He's eating lunch. He like goes to go to the bathroom in the woods. He finds her body. And then he obviously like goes and calls the police. She has a large fracture on the right side of her skull. It's likely that she was in the dome when the kidnappers arrived to receive the ransom and was collateral damage. Like I've been saying the whole time, but that's like also the theory of this author. So Stevie gets to this like coffee shop or whatever. She meets Dr. Fenton, the author. She's a hot mess. Basically what Stevie's going to be in 20 years after obsessing over this case. It's pretty clear that Fenton's like an alcoholic, but it takes Stevie like 10 years to figure that out. So anyways, Fenton quizzes Stevie on what she knows about the Ellingham case to see if she's worth working with. Then she gives Stevie a large list of things to fact check, like guest list and color of paints and where things are located. And she says that Stevie can get most of the things from the attic archives. And then she mentions that she, Fenton mentions that she has information that will bust the whole case open. And she might tell Stevie if Stevie does a good job. So they're going to meet the next Saturday at Fenton's house on campus in Burlington because she's a professor. And then Stevie is told never to send information electronically. So then Fenton goes to the bathroom and her nephew shows up, Hunter, and he's like Stevie's age, but like I'm kind of under the assumption that he's in college. So he's probably like 18. And he mentions that he lives with Fenton and then goes to school focusing on environmental studies. He basically like notices Stevie and likes her 
thinks she's cute or whatever. So then he's helping Fenton to the car, even though he has a crutch, which is never explained. He just is, he has a crutch. And then he's helping her because she's drunk, but Stevie can't figure that out. Anyways, Stevie talks about how boys have started noticing her body. And I just say I have throwing up emoji. Like, I, mm. I like, I don't even know what to say about that. Like, oh, boys notice me and like me. Like, you're all teenager. Duh. Anyways, moving on, please. Chapter 10. So on the way home from Burlington, home being Ellingham, Stevie is thinking about Hayes' death and how it doesn't really make sense. Good It's everything I've told you every episode. So basically, she's coming to the conclusion that it's unrealistic that Ellie killed him. Now she wants to know where Ellie is and how she possibly got out of Ellingham. Duh. So she goes, she's like looking around the outside of the main house and there's like bars over the basement window that ellie supposedly escaped from so she asks larry to show her the basement window and larry's like no 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 whatever 10 minutes later freaking he's like okay so they go down to the basement this is kind of cool so it's like a labyrinth down there and there's like small hallways and fake doors that lead to nowhere or like brick walls and then there's pointless walls and rooms and stuff and then larry tells her that ellingham would have his guests like play games down there this is for josh murder strike midnight anyways it's a game my mom had us play for a little so none of the walls and stuff are on the blueprints and albert would regularly have the walls knocked down and rebuild new walls so no one could ever like fully figure out what the basement was like and then, I don't know if this is important, but there's hatches in the floor where food was stored and, like, used as freezers. They put, like, ice cubes. Like, large. <laughs> Whatever. Anyways. Stevie's looking at the window that Ellie went out of, and she's talking to Larry, and she says, Ellie would have only had a five-minute head start, so how the heck did she get out? Oh, by the way, so we're like, oh, there's a metal great over this there's no way ellie could have gotten out and then larry's like it latches from the inside she could have just like popped it open wow glad i spent 10 years of my life on that so anyways cv let's see her okay so she's asking larry what he thinks happens and he says he thinks she met up with someone in burlington and she'll eventually come out because there's like cults and not cults whoa um what was she a part of communes in burlington and like she probably found a safe space there so he thinks that ellie's not dangerous just someone who was scared and the haze thing was just a prank gone wrong which like i half agree with that stevie runs into david big who cares he asks if she found anything out not really she starts a fight with him for no reason but also thinks he's hot she walks away wondering if everyone including david blamed her for ellie's disappearance i know i do chapter 11 we're almost there. Stevie has an anatomy with the awesome goth kid Mudge, and she finds out he wants to be Imagineer at Disneyland. It's random, but like, it's a fun tidbit. So anyways, David meets her after class, and he's surprised Ellie didn't tell him about the passage out of Albert's office because they share things like that. And it, it makes me wonder if David already knew about the tin, and it also makes me wonder if David knows about the passage in Minerva, like under the stairs. So he doesn't give Stevie any more information, but whatever so david thinks ellie hid when she first got out of the main house but he doesn't know how she could have fully gotten out of ellingham after everything was locked down stevie goes up into the attic and we hear the riddle again where do you look for someone who's never really there big who cares so then stevie says there are 307 items on fenton's list to fact check nothing interesting she looks at the dollhouse 
I don't, nothing happens. So then Edward King texts her, I hope things are going well. And she's mad and claims he doesn't own her. What? I don't care. Last chapter. Let's do this. Chapter 12. Stevie and Janelle briefly discuss Halloween costumes because it's Halloween day. Janelle is going as Wonder Woman and Stevie's too good for costumes, of course. And she's so insulted when Janelle suggests she goes as Sherlock Holmes. You don't just go as the greatest fictional detective. Instead, she's going to go as another fictional detective who's the main detective in Agatha Christie books because that's acceptable. I don't understand Stevie's logic because she doesn't have any. So anyways, Halloween day, Stevie goes to Fenton's house. It's a hot mess. It smells. She's alcoholic. Whatever. Fenton starts going over Stevie's list that she completed and then Hunter comes in because Stevie's like in the kitchen. They have a perfectly pleasant conversation. He mentions that he applied to Ellingham but didn't get in. Fenton calls Stevie back in and says that they can work together for real because Stevie's serious about the case. Fenton tells Stevie's never to put anything online because it's no longer yours. <sighs> okay, then Fenton, I'm going to rant for five hours about this. So Fenton hands Stevie a court transcript from the Voracek trial and his testimony from Marion Nelson, that's a house mother in Minerva. Mrs. N- Nelson noticed Dottie's missing around 9 p.m., but was not informed about the kidnapping in the, until the morning by the bodyguard. We obviously know this isn't true because she meets with Albert. Then they interview the telephone operator from the night of the ransom calls. And the only new information is that Mrs. Rose Peabody, a friend of Iris from New York, called twice, which was unanswered, obviously, because she was already missing at this point. Then the operator, Margot Fields, barely identifies, like, kind of, sort of, Voracek as being the voice of the ransom calls. I don't know. It's stupid. It's like, basically, the prosecution is, like, leading her to believe that it's his voice. So here's the part I'm going to rant about. So Fenton points out that Miss Nelson claims to not have known about the kidnapping until morning, which we know is not true. Who cares? So Fenton at one point interviews Gertie Van Covorden. I don't know. That super rich student. Gertie says that Miss Nelson received a call right before 10 and the interview with the telephone operator, she evades this question. They're like asking her if there's any calls between buildings at the time and she just says the lines were generally quiet in the evenings which was normal so gertie swears that there's a tunnel in minerva that's used by another student which we know obviously and then fenton wants stevie to find the tunnel to prove this theory and but she won't tell stevie what this theory is or whatever the minerva house one as she's leaving hunter offers stevie his phone number just in case she wants it dot 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 because she's working with his aunt dot 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 he clearly likes her okay on to my rant so it's about the court transcripts. I'm pulling this up because I'm mad. I talked about this for like 10 hours with my husband too. Okay, so Stevie and Fenton claim there's a discrepancy because there was a phone call. Okay, so I have my book open. We're like gonna go through this. So Miss Nelson says, they ask her, can you tell us when you first realized Dottie was missing? She says right after nine. Then she explains that there's like curfew, but the kids are allowed to go wherever they want. Then the prosecution says, when did you first learn she was missing? When Mr. Ellingham's men came to the door at dawn and told us to get the children packed and ready to leave. They don't say, when did you find out Iris and Alice? It says she, singular, Dottie. So one, that makes no sense. Two, the phone operator. So she talks about a call at 847 and at 950. That one's uh, Mrs. Peabody. Those were the only calls, yes, coming in and out, even between buildings. Some days, Ellingham lines are busy, but the evenings are generally quieter, blah, blah, blah. So, supposedly, the the inconsistency is that 
there was no other calls because there's no calls between 10 and midnight. Gertie says that it was before 10. The call was before 10 that Miss Nelson received. So it's not an inconsistency. Like it's a little shady, but like there's nothing even there. And we rant about it and like, oh, we're solving the case. No, you're not. And we already know this information. It's ridiculous. Let's move on to my lingering question so I can yell a little bit more. <sighs> okay. First lingering question, which is also my husband's lingering question. Why do I care about any of this? Nothing happens. Why are we still reading these books is what he said. So we know there's a tunnel in Minerva, because we know that Frankie used it. And we know that Albert's probably having an affair with Miss Nelson. Big who cares? That's a whole phone call thing. We know, we don't know, but I'm telling you, Ellie didn't murder Hayes. Something more is going on, obviously. We know that Francis is Frankie and Edward's Eddie and nothing happens in 200 pages. Nothing happens. That was half the book, you guys. Okay, so are you ready for my theories? Because I got a couple of good ones. So my first theory is that Edward King is Eddie's grandson. So Eddie is like 17 in 1936, and then he kills himself in 1940. So he would have to have his son before he's like 20, which would make that person in his 70s. So if Edward's in Edward King's in his 50s, he could easily, and it could be a family name. Why would you name two characters like the same first name? So running with that theory, Edward King wants to run for president. So maybe he's trying to like destroy evidence related to Truly Devious. Because like obviously Eddie wrote the letter. I also think he recruited Ellie to befriend David similarly to what he's doing with Stevie. Because he talks about how David got kicked out of a ton of schools and stuff, but obviously David made it through a year at Ellingham and he was friends with Ellie, so like maybe. But keeping David in school would allow Edward King to be involved with the school without raising suspicion and put in the cameras and stuff like that. And I'm thinking maybe he could have potentially been a past student there and that he probably told Ellie about like the secret passageway in Minerva or the secret passageway in the main house. And I also say I wouldn't be surprised if Edward King and Ellie had some sort of romantical involvement. This is not stated, but like in the very first book, they're talking about their love lives and Ellie just says like nothing about her. She like avoids it. I also think like Edward King could have helped Ellie escape from the school after she was confronted. But I also have like a side theory that Ellie's in the tunnel in Minerva, either dead or alive. And then like Stevie's going to find her or like evidence of her being there when she goes and investigates this tunnel. And then I think that Ellie may have blabbed to Hayes about the whole Edward King thing. If this is like, this theory is going off the rails, but then Hayes may have blackmailed her to help him with his homework and the YouTube thing, or she liked Hayes and like blabbed willingly, but either way, this would be like motive for his death. This also explains security cameras in the school, which I mentioned, and why he brought Stevie, like Edward King brought Stevie back to school. If she uncovers anything, he would know about it and he could take care of it. Second theory for no reason in this book, but I think Vi is involved somehow with the Hayes thing. I think they are only dating Janelle so that they can be in the group and like know what's going on. I also think Vi would know about Janelle's key card, which I mentioned before. And like the way it's returned. So Janelle's key card's left outside Minerva on like the sidewalk. Why would some random person that steal it? They would just like throw it in a trash can or something. But like Vi would return it, I feel like. 
And I think Vi is feeding information to Jermaine because Jermaine knew about the dry eyes before it was even announced and wrote about it. So if Vi stole the dry eyes, she could have told Jermaine. I also think like another red flag is like Vi is overly nice and they are trying to stay into the Minerva group, get information and stuff. And I also think it's concerning that Vi is overly worried about the cameras and wants them out of the school. Why would you want that if you're just a normal person? Another semi-theory is I think that Headmaster Charles knows some things. He's overly nice and less suspect than Dr. Quinn, which is always like a red flag in books and movies. He allows Edward King to install the cameras. He has Iris's old dressing room and just moved that clock in there. He could have helped Ellie escape the school because it was his idea to lock Ellie in the office and go get her food like so everyone leaves her alone. So my final lingering question is how did David get 50 squirrels into the freaking library? Someone explain that to me. Okay, so I'm going to try to put this in. I've been thinking about this and I have another theory. So I think... I'm saying this right now. You're going to hear my child and everything in the background because my family is in full-blown functioning. We just got home for practice. I think that Albert planned the quote-unquote kidnapping. I think he wanted to kill Iris. And I think he wanted to go run off with Mrs. Whoever her face is from Minerva and go live happily ever after. I think he, I think Alice wasn't even with them. And he kept her and that's why he was getting the clothes and stuff. And he was paying the ransom, even though it seemed ridiculous because he was going to save some of that money for himself after he paid off the other people. And I think Voracek killed Dottie because he was picking up the ransom money at the dome. But I think Albert faked his death on the boat and lived happily ever after with Alice and his girlfriend. And all this was to have Iris killed. So there's my theory. I'm putting it out there. Bye. So in closing, as always, thank you for listening. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at the Jolly Reader Podcast, where you'll find pictures of lots of snow and my cat. Subscribe so you can instantly download the next episode because we'll be covering the last half of this book next week. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review to help my other crewmates find this podcast. And also share with everyone if you're still in lockdown, I'll give you something to do. You can discuss how ridiculous all this is. I would appreciate it. Stay tuned for your weekly dose of secondhand embarrassment via the outtakes. And I want to say to my husband, happy engage anniversary to us. Seven years ago, we got engaged after 10 months of knowing each other. And then two and a half months later, we got married. So <laughs> happy engage anniversary. So I will talk to all of you next week for part two of The Vanishing Stare. Until we sail again, this has been the Jolly Reader Bone Voyage. Hey, you made it to the outtakes. Let's go. Let's do it. Is this working? Testing. Okay. My daughter made a party hat and I was messing around with it. My husband wants me to record this like sound thing for it. The biggest of who cares. Hope that worked. That's ridiculous. Okay. Let's try to record for real. Wow, computer. Probably should mute my computer if it's going to be loud and obnoxious. Okay. I wish I would stop stumbling over my words. Did she know about the passage? Or, sorry, excuse me. Okay. <laughs> okay. 14, oh, 14. The, hold on a second. Anyways.
Um, anything more than that is like her. I just slammed my hand. Sorry. Hold on. Let me go let him out. Anyways. Okay. My dog needs to stop barking. Sonny! Stop it! Champlain. Rumor that Eric. Rumor. I cannot talk. Security Larry. My house smells like bacon. Oh my gosh. It smells so good. Okay. So he shows Stevie. Oh no. I already said that. Anyways. It's really hot in here. Davy, Davy, holy moly! So then, Steven, Steven, God, Stevie starts going. Or no, I'm sorry. Called twice. Ow, my elbow. <laughs> Says, hold on. Mm-hmm. Let's see here. Blah blah blah. I am Allie, and you are with me to my mom. 